This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Inside Carolina On The Beat Live. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We've got the band together. First, before the band starts... We got to talk about Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. They're sponsors of this podcast. Great friends of Inside Carolina. Get all the swag you need. It's baseball season. Go over there and get some baseball gear, and then go to Bosch. Watch the Tar Heels rake. They're absolutely raking this year. For those that don't know what I mean, look it up. And boys can hit Johnny T-shirt can outfit you to check out the baseball team and anything else you need Carolina gear related. On the beat live comes Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, and Miss Kirsten Clark. We have uh, a little bit of basketball to talk about, a little bit of football to talk about. Greg, we'll start with basketball. It seems inconceivable to me, but here we are that Carolina's had the, had the season that they've had, or rather the record they have, and they are still a legitimate bubble team um, that could go either way fascinating how bad the ACC's has been and how that affects the Tar Heels NCAA chances. Yeah, absolutely. The ACC lost one out of every three non-conference games that it played. 53 non-conference losses. Uh, Had some some healthy conversation on the board this week about the impact of non-conference play and, uh, you know, how that impacts conference play and you it's the it's an interesting conversation because it's one that we've really um looked past for years because for so long the acc was at the top of the conference list or right there at the top uh and so they won a lot of games non-conference play and then they got into acc play and even if you would lose to an acc team you know if that was a top 25 team it really doesn't hurt you and you could stockpile wins and uh, competitive games on your NCAA tournament resume. And so over the years, a lot of these mid-major conferences have complained and said, look, you know, we get into conference play, we can't elevate our standing. And, the, you know, the, the word for a long time was, well, tough luck. You're not one of the big boys. Well, this year, the ACC is making that case. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're in ACC play now, and we're not able to help ourselves with some of these in-conference wins. What's going on? Uh, and it's like Jay Billis told us you know, a couple weeks ago, I guess before the Duke game. He said, you know, this is the same system in place in 2019 when the ACC had three number one seeds in this NCAA tournament, Virginia, Duke, and North Carolina. Nobody in the ACC footprint was complaining then about this formula. But now when the ACC is really not any good, all of a sudden people are complaining about it. It's funny how that works, uh, okay. but that's kind of where we're at. And so – uh, I think North Carolina is in pretty good shape right now. If they win their next two games, 
you know, regardless of what happens in Cameron and then maybe win a game in, in Brooklyn, they'll be fine. They'll get into the tournament. Uh, they just can't slip up. And yes, you're right, Tommy. They're, they're on the bubble. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and just kind of close out, win a few more of these games and they'll be fine. It's just watching. I was looking at Virginia and Duke last night, I guess, and they show the bracketology on the side, and it's got Duke as a three seed. And you're like, God, what world are we living in that Duke's only a three seed? And then you see everybody else, and it's like nines and tens or whatever it is. It's it's unbelievable. It's certainly not anything we've ever seen. And I even saw a healthy debate. I think it was the Mountain West. Somebody was, I think that's right, that somebody was arguing. They ended up on my thread, Twitter thread, somehow arguing about the ACC versus those conferences. I mean, like, what kind of bizarro world are we living in? But it is what it is. Kirsten, uh, looking at Carolina, you see them up close. Uh, I do. Is this, is this a tournament team that should be on the bubble, or do you think that um, the only reason they're on the bubble is because the ACC is so bad? Um, I think a lot of it does have to do with the ACC being so bad, but it's also the inconsistency. Um, you know, it's just the back and forth. Some days you see them and they look like they're playing Carolina basketball. And some days you see them and they look like, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. So I think the other issues is that inconsistency, um, as to why they're on the bubble and until they can figure it out, figure that out, that's where they're going to be. And Gregory, we are what, uh, 28 games in or whatever it is into the season, we're still talking about the same things we talked about in November, December, January, and all of this month. It's just like I said earlier about the tournament. It's the same with the team. It is it's still impossible to figure them out. They've scrambled together some wins here. Uh, the Pittsburgh game is going to hang around forever to be a discussion point. But to Kirsten's point, it's, it's crazy that we're February, whatever it is, February 24th, and it's like we just started this last week in November. Yeah, and what's 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 crazy about that is if they had beaten Pitt, then we wouldn't be talking about the same things. Because then you'd be looking at, t- at a team that since the Miami and Wake debacle was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine and one, with the only loss being against a much more talented Duke team. So then we're probably not talking about the same things, right? But obviously that Pittsburgh loss is a very large blemish um, and one that the committee will look at regardless of what happens. And they'll be like, well, look, and now they might get redemption here because um, if the ACC season ended today, UNC would be the four seed in the tournament and would then play – Clemson or wakes the five would be the five seed and Pitt and Clemson would be the 12 and 13. So Pitt and Clemson would play each other. The winner would play wake. And then the winner would play UNC on Thursday. If that's how things finished up. And I think Sherelle tweeted out that uh, UNC just needs to go two and one in these last three games to secure that four C spot because of wakes loss the other day. I think it was last night they lost. Um, so that's a double buy. And what we talked about last week, two weeks ago, about what this team needed. And we threw up the chances of this team winning the AC tournament and the differences between having the double buy and not having the double buy um, would be, it was, was a lot, was changed what we thought the chances of them winning it was. Cause what if they get the double buy of the four seed, then you have to play Duke in the semifinals, which you'd much rather play Duke then than the finals. Right. So, but yeah, to your point about, 
talking about the same things, it's really just because of that pit game. Because if not, you're looking at nine and one in the last 10 with, yes, the 20 point loss to Duke. And it was at 30 at one point is not great um, considering how they looked, but still, it was still a pretty much like it's, it's okay to lose against Duke. Duke's a good team. We're not like, you know what I mean? Like it's not the same as Pitt. So. Yeah. I think the Pitt loss is much, much worse than anything Carolina's done. But Greg, to Gregory's point there and maybe pushing back against it a little bit, Duke's not that good. And the committee doesn't think Duke's that good. Hence the three seed type stuff. And then Carolina just got totally, I mean, that was ridiculous. That was embarrassing for the program. I mean, I think we can all agree with that. But to, to the point, other point Gregory was making, if they go four seed, with Wake the five and then Pitt and Clemson or whoever it is down there, you got to like Carolina's chances to get to the semifinals of the ACC at that point. But here's my question, Greg. Is a five seed and beat a lesser team to get an extra win more important than being the fourth seed and having the double bye tournament it, purposes? It's a, it's a great question, Tommy. Um, and any, any win that you can pocket is beneficial. Uh, I do think if that ends up being the draw and North Carolina gets, you know, Carolina is the four seed and they get either Wake or Clemson with a healthy PJ Hall uh, in that quarterfinal game, that's a tough game regardless. But for North Carolina, uh, you most likely not going to win the ACC regular season. Um, they've got a chance to win the ACC tournament. They won't be the, the favorites, of course, but if you're talking about wanting to win the ACC tournament, well, this team's only going to do it if they have to win three games. They don't have the legs to do it in four games. And that's one of the interesting conversations uh, that's going on is a lot of people in up in arms about the, about the amount of minutes that the starters are having to play. And a lot of people are pushing back and, and pulling up, you know, the 1982 team. Those guys played a lot. Tempo, of course, is a little bit different, different era, all those kind of things. What matters, though, is that anybody watching Carolina in these recent games can see that these guys are tired at the end of the game. And the players are even talking about it. Hubert Davis, who told us after the Tennessee game that these are 18, 19-year-old kids, you know, fatigue's not even a thing to them. They should be ready to go at a, at a you know, hat's drop. He's even acknowledged that they're a little bit tired. Um, and regardless of what happens with the minutes, that's the topic is how do you get these guys time to, to rest? Because they're tired. We know they're tired. They're acknowledging that they're tired. And so if Carolina had to win four games in a row, I just don't see it happen. Um, and everybody made a big deal about, well, you know, North Carolina – uh, they played well on Monday night against Louisville. Two games in three days is pretty tough. Well, uh, I think C.L. Brown asked the question in the post game. He's like, look, I mean, this is the NCAA tournament setup. You play two games in three days. Um, and I think that's valid. So uh, Hubert's doing what he can. I mean, he's kind of limited with his options for sure. They've cut back on practice. But for North Carolina to have a chance to win up in Brooklyn, win the whole thing, they got to be the, the four seed. They have to have that double bye. Uh, and then, yes, all those games are going to be tough at that point. You're not going to have any easy ones. 
Um, but if you're wanting to win the title, then then win three hard-fought games and, and move on, and we can stop talking about the bubble. Exactly. Kirsten, somebody asked if Carolina drops one against uh, – this is Michael Hardison in the YouTube chat. If, if UNC drops one against Cuser State or both, uh, does Carolina get in or have to beat Duke to get in or win the ACC tournament? I, I think if they lose to either Cuser or State, we're back talking about very troubling things. Um, but what's Carolina need to go these last three to secure an NCAA bid? And is it important, like I asked Greg, to maybe have a five seed and get an extra win in there? Do you think if they're the four seed, they're safe? Yeah, I think with I agree with Greg in terms of we need to get as many wins as we can right now. And uh, we just – just because of Cuse and who – Syracuse and um, State are, we just can't afford – to lose those games. I mean, especially state. I mean, I don't foresee us losing that, but again, with the inconsistency, you just don't know. Um, and then Duke, it's kind of already a given with that one. So um, I think, yeah, Syracuse and state are those two where we need to secure those. And then Duke is kind of a toss up, which we kind of know which way that's going to go. Um, but yeah, I think right now getting as many wins as possible is, is the best bet for UNC. Gregory, uh, thoughts on four versus five in the tournament? I don't like in the ACC tournament. Yeah, I don't. I oh, don't. It's significant. You think it's significant, but it's only significant if you get to Sunday or whenever the final is these days. I guess the final Saturday now. Well, yes and no. Look at, I mean, to Greg's point about the looking gassed, that was on in Monday's game after a tough game on Saturday. Um, and that and was so, a day gap. Yeah, exactly. They had a gap between that. So if you have to play on Wednesday, and granted it's either against Pitt or Clemson as of now, um, but I mean they lost to Pitt. Pitt played very physical, and Clemson took them down to the wire, right? So then you're looking at you have to play that game, which shouldn't be tough, but it most likely will be based on how those last two games happened. Then you have to turn around and play Wake. The next day, a team that already waxed you and was obviously more played more athletic and tougher than you did. So it's like just starting on Thursday is significantly different. And talking about Syracuse and state there, the Syracuse loss, I guess it's a home loss. So I guess they're pretty comparable because Syracuse is in the 80s in the net and states in the 130s. But one's a home game, one's a road game. So I guess those would both be Q three losses whatever you want to quad losing those would losing those games to answer michael's question about having to be duke the answer is yes you have to do more than what we are talking about which what we were talking about is you have you beat cues you beat well you beat state you beat cues you lose to duke you win one game you're in but if you lose to cues or state you got to do more than that and that includes beating duke because as it's looking, well, I guess if you lose, you fall to five. I don't know. It gets confusing. But, yes, you have to do – you have to beat Duke to get in, in my opinion, if you lose to Cues or State. Yeah, I don't think you can – I don't – I'm not even so sure I would put Carolina in the tournament if they lose to either losing Raleigh or lose at home to Syracuse. But, Greg, uh, seeding purposes-wise um, is, you know, two and one, lose to Duke – get the four seed in the ACC tournament. Um, 
is that game there, whether it's against Wake or whatever, how that shakes out in in Brooklyn, where is that for Carolina? I think Carolina gets in if they go two and one and get the four seed. I think they're in the NCAA tournament. But where does the the line get drawn with that ACC tournament game as far as we're in the tournament? Are they in Dayton? Are they a 10 seed, you know, and wherever? Um, how do you think that plays out? And, of course, we're just discussing it because I these bracketology guys are all over the map too, but it's fun. Yeah, I think the, the one thing, the one variable that we can't really account for is the uh, – bracket busting teams that, that come out of nowhere and uh, you know, win, you know, say the Missouri Valley conference you know, Murray state's in, but they get knocked out of the tournament. They're still in. And so you, you add an extra team uh, no longer to the bubble, but to the, to the field um, because Murray state clearly will get in. And those are the kind of things you have to look out for. Sometimes we see a lot of them, right? You see, you go into that conference championship week and there's three or four or five teams that nobody expected to be in the mix. And now some of these teams that are last four in are now first four out. Um, and so I, I think if North Carolina goes two and one the rest of the way in regular season, they probably feel pretty good about their, their chances. But if you, you're kind of leaving it up to, to chance, right? Unless you go to Brooklyn and are able to win at least that, that first game. But if you lose that first game, you're going to kind of be on pins and needles and hoping things fall your way. I think if Carolina can win that, that first game in the ACC tournament, that really puts them in good shape where you know, Dayton's really not even in play, and they're probably a, you know, a 10 or 11 seed. And then in terms of, in terms of how high they can climb, um, I think that's interesting. If they win the tournament, you know, maybe they can jump up to an 8-1. Eight, eight but I would say typically if they don't win the ACC tournament, maybe a nine is probably as high as they can go. Um, and then you get into the conversation of, okay, well, if, if the best we can do is an eight seed, do we want the eight or a nine like they were last year? And maybe have to play Baylor in the second round. Uh, Wisconsin took care of that concern. Or do you want to be like a 10 seed or even 11 seed? You know, if you're 11 seed, the best team you're going to play is a, is a three seed opening weekend. So there's a lot of uh, – a lot of interesting discussion. Carolina has no role in any of that other than the number of games that they win, but, but a lot of interesting positions on that. Someone brought up the pressure on Duke, and I didn't realize Notre Dame was still right behind them. And Notre Dame plays Georgia Tech at Florida State and Pitt. And so, and that Pitt game's to be announced, but I imagine it will be before the UNC Duke game. It on Saturday. So then I guess Duke owns the tiebreaker over Notre Dame, don't they? Yep. They beat them. Yep. Okay. So it doesn't really matter. But if they lose, so even if they lose to Carolina, they would still win the ACC. Well, right? they, they've got to go to Syracuse on, on Saturday. And Syracuse is one of those teams, uh, while their record's not great, offensively, they're fantastic. Their problem has been defense this year. Um, but when they're hitting, and the Bayhams, how many are there? There's like four of them now. <laughs> like five generations. Yeah, of them. right. I mean, it's crazy. Um, I think Buddy <laughs> and his son are both playing on this team. Um, <laughs> but if they're hitting, they can beat anybody, especially up at the Carrier Dome. So that, that's a game that Duke has to be careful about. Uh, but in terms of pressure, I've said this before. Duke has not played well at home. Uh, they've won a lot of these games, but last night's game. That was at Virginia, though. Yeah, oh, let's yeah. just go back through some of these. 
Uh, Wake Forest, they won by two. They lost to Virginia at home. They beat Clemson by two. Uh, State, Syracuse, they handled. Miami, they lost. They beat Georgia Tech by 12, beat Virginia Tech by 11. So a lot of these conference games have been real close for Duke at Cameron. And when you start talking about the amount of pressure on this team, on Coach K's final game in Cameron, um, I mean, I, I, give, I give Carolina much more of a chance in that game than I think a lot of people do just because all you have to do is land a couple blows early, and that really rattles that team, and who knows what can happen at that point in time. Right, and we'll talk about it more next week, obviously, as we preview that game. But there's things to be learned from this past game, like don't put Baycott on Bancaro to start the game. So, right. Yeah, ho- hopefully those lessons were learned. And, and you're right. We'll talk about next week on the beat live. It'll be full on Duke Carolina coming up. Uh, you know, Missy Jones, I believe, asked a question, and I missed it because it's scrolling up. But Gregory has it, and and this is valid. I'm gonna ask this question. I'm gonna start with Kirsten. Do you think Carolina loses games because of the minutes played? We've talked about it. Um, guys retired, this and that. Do they lose – have they lost games because they're tired? Kirsten. I don't know if you can say that because we've seen situations where they've played these back-to-back games and they've won. And we've seen situations where they've played these back-to-back games and they've lost. And I don't know if you can blame that on fatigue. Um, I mean, yeah, like we said, we've talked about it. They're tired. But I don't know if that's enough to say they've lost games because of minutes played. Um and I think we've even seen Hubert bring in the, the bench a little bit more um, these recent games. So maybe that has something to do with it, like against Louisville. Um, but I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to say no. I don't think fatigue is enough to say that's why we've lost certain games because they've shown that they can win games back-to-back when they're tired. Yeah, I, I think if you look at the games that they have lost already, I don't think we blame any of those on fatigue because they've gotten waxed on most of them. Um but could it rear its head in the ACC tournament? That's where Absolutely. it that, Yeah, that's where it happens. Because um, if we're talking about, and to y'all's point earlier, and just I want people to understand, if they are worn out on Monday after a Saturday game, if you're worn out on a Monday after that gap, then what is going to happen when you're playing the very next day? And the way the ACC tournament works is you could p- play inside 24 hours. If you're unlucky enough to get, I guess the first couple of rounds, the way they time it now, but you could li- theoretically play at 10 o'clock on one night, turn around and have to play at seven o'clock the next night. And I don't care what anybody says, whether they're 18 or 19 or my age, you're tired if you've done all that. And Greg, that's where that double buy that we've all talked about, that's where the, the tread on the tires. And that's what we've talked about for years with Duke is that they are worn out through the regular season. They have a great regular season. They flame out in the tournament. And that's where we're at on the fatigue issue, right, Greg? Yeah, and, and Kirsten's right. I don't think you can uh, you know, attribute fatigue to any of these losses thus far, but it's the accumulation. And you're exactly right, Tommy. We've talked about this for years, and we've seen it. Uh, that some of those J.J. Redick teams were great, but because Mike Krzyzewski leaned on his guys so much, and a lot of it was he was determined to win the ACC tournament. He won a lot of them. 
But by the time they got to the NCAA tournament, they were just gassed. Um, you know, and it, it, it's not just an end of the game thing. It's how are your legs when you start? And maybe that's what the, the person asking the question is kind of getting at. Uh, some of these games, we just hadn't seen Carolina come out with enough energy. Is that fatigue? I don't think so. I think that's more kind of an energy and mindset kind of thing. Um, but as we get closer to the end of the season, we get into the postseason play, that's certainly going to be something to watch because there are going to be times when North Carolina just struggles because of their fatigue issues to kind of match what their opponent's doing. Um, and you, Coach K always kind of rolled the dice and said, you know what, we can get to the end of the year. We can get to the national championship game before they give out. And sometimes they got beat by better teams. Sometimes they just ran out of gas. Uh, North Carolina just under Roy just really kind of never did that. And so this is something unique and new for North Carolina fans. Um, watch that plays out, but, but certainly having to play three games in three days in Brooklyn is going to test them. And uh, we'll see if they're up for the challenge. Yeah. I don't know. You, you mentioned like losing in the beginning. I think the one game that you can point to of like, it wasn't fatigue. It was, but more mental fatigue was the Purdue Tennessee back to back. Cause sure. they played yeah. arguably one of their best games of the season against Purdue, but still lost by seven and didn't even didn't quite even have a chance in the last minute there. And then they turned around and in the first half against Tennessee just looked completely disinterested. And that started the whole effort, energy, toughness mantra, but that was as much mental fatigue as we've seen all season. Yep. Yeah. I agree that the mental by far, the mental aspect of the game has been this issue this season thus far, but it's not the same when we get to March and, and to well, it can't be the same early either. April. Yeah, I mean, if it's if the if we're talking about the mental issue in three weeks, then Carolina's season is probably over. Um, if we're talking about the fatigue issue, then they're still going. Um, but yeah, it is it is just funny to me how it has sort of flipped. And I mentioned it, and we talked about it. Is how we used to look at Duke and say they're going to flame out because they're gassed, and they did a lot. And uh, here we are discussing the same thing at Carolina. Any other thing basketball related? Go ahead, Gregory. Um, what's the lowest at-large seed UNC can get? Lowest is being okay. It's twelve. Yeah. Okay, that's what bracket matrix has them at right now. Really? They because they were at eleven for a long time. They're at twelve. They're the they're the second twelfth seed in a hundred brackets right now. See, you don't want to be on the twelve line before conference tournament play. Because if you're on the twelve line before conference tournament play, you better win a game. And you also can't lose to Duke by a blank ton right for sure yeah they, they what was it t- raw said we, we can't say that never mind he just said yeah. capital f ton yeah right yeah we're not doing that on this show this is a clean <laughs> fcc uh, clear show yeah i, I just think it, it, again i said it to lead the show it just blows my mind that we're having this discussion somebody said something about um, once upon a time 20 wins was a benchmark and it was but they didn't play 40 games a year either. Uh, Last year's there. team went 18 and 11 and was a nine seed. Yeah, but they didn't play. I mean, 29 games in the regular season. 31 games this year. It's not that much different. Yeah, but you can go 20 and 11, and that's a mediocre season for Carolina basketball, and it's still 20 wins. So that's they fair. play more games. 
let's I'll give Drew Cribs one shout out. Yeah, as um, I say, I like that question. Yeah. So interesting question. And this is for all of us, and we'll go around the room. Kirsten, starting with you. If you could pick one ACC player to put on Carolina right now, who would it be? Uh, one ACC player. Um, I don't know his name, but who's the guy from Wake Forest that lit us up? Alondis Williams. 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 Or Jake LaRavia. He lit Carolina up more than Williams did. Jake LaRavia was, was on the team, but he went back home to Minnesota. Yeah, that Williams is probably going to be ACC Player of the Year. So that's that's probably the the guess. Where did well, he yeah, play in college? The Kirsten? Or excuse me, where did he play last year, and who was his teammate, Kirsten? Mm, I don't know the answer to that. Oklahoma Brady Manic. Brady oh, Manic. Wow. Yep. Forbes wanted. I, I don't know uh, if Brady Manic and Saul Williams. No, he wanted Justin McCoy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And ended up with Williams. He yeah. wanted wow. McCoy, and then UNC got McCoy, and then he was like, all right, I guess we'll go get Alondis Williams. And- I'm going to let that man buy me a scratch-off ticket. Greg, who would you pick? <laughs> you, can't, uh, you can't pick Williams now. Who would you add to this team off the ACC? Oh, gracious. Um, AJ Griffin. Mm, you took mine. Where would he play? And like, who would he play a two? Would he play the two guard at Carolina? Probably. I mean, you could play him at two or three, right? Yeah. When you I need offense, he's, he's technically a three at Duke, but I think he could play either position. He's probably going to be a two at the next level, right? A lineup yeah. of Caleb, RJ, AJ, Leaky, Brady. When you see how to go small, that'd be kind of sick. Yep. So who's your guy if you can't pick him? So I can't pick Griffin or Alanis Williams now? Nope. And uh, I'm not picking because, quite frankly, I can't remember players anymore. I used to be able to know them all in the ACC. See, this is tough. I'm trying to think who the best point guard is in the ACC. Clark at Virginia, maybe? Kia Clark. I think this team could use a Kia, a veteran guy that can just – I mean, obviously, he – can score when he wants to, like he did last night, but he can still make passes. Is he the best true point guard in the conference, though? Charlie Moore? I mean... Oh, I think I would rather have Charlie Moore than Kia Clark. The other option is is you go with the guy maybe with the best NBA potential. Well, beyond the Duke guys would be Blake Wesley at Notre Dame. And he's a freshman and all that, but I mean, he's a guy that's splashed and he's He'll probably be a first-round draft pick if he decides to go pro. I think one guy in the, or one guy in the I think Sebron could also be really good on this team from state. Mm, I don't think he does. Oh, I, I don't him. think he, I don't think he adds a ton. To this he team. adds just a downhill bully ability that this team doesn't have. But when he's de- defended and getting his head, he doesn't add. And like he did against Carolina, I'll, I'll change the question. Uh, one player nationally that you would add to this team, quick, Gregory Start. And I do don't. I say, uh, do I say literally, it? Greg? Do I say it? Go for it. Go for it. Probably not. Jabari Smith. Oh, the different guy, a teammate. But either. <laughs> Smart move. I mean, they're two of the best players in the country. 
Who you got, Kirsten? Nationally, I wanted to say it, but well, because are are we not say saying it? it? He, say it. Uh, Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler has a hundred and twenty-seven blocks on the season, and that puts him seventy-third all time in the SEC. How would he in where career? Would he, where would he blend with this team? I mean, would he play same, with Baycott? Same way he's blending at Auburn. They're, he's not playing on worldly minutes. He's does switching he start, out. Does he start for this Carolina team? I don't know. Uh, yeah. He'd that's, have to, that's, right? That's where, you get, that's where you get to the weird part um, of trying to figure out exactly you know, how you mix things up because then you're back to having two bigs. Uh, I think it's Chet Holmgren. And I know Walker Kessler was the guy that could be here, was already here. But Holmgren's a guy that Carolina fought for. And even though he's seven foot, I mean, Drew Timmy's the, the big guy for Gonzaga. But Holmgren's seven foot, 200 pounds, shooting 45% from three-point range. Um, his effective field goal percentage is 70.7. Oh. Uh, he's blocking 12% of shots. I mean, he is a beast. But he, you know, I think he's, even though he's seven foot tall, I think he's good enough to play the stretch four and uh, to have that rotation, those two guys uh, and then Brady Manick, that'd be, that'd be tough to beat. If I had to pick a guard, I would want the um, guy from Kansas. What's, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Ochi Ajabai, I think is the best Abaji, yeah. pronunciation. <laughs> if yeah. I had to pick a guard, that's who I would want on Carolina. Isn't it funny how, and that's another thing that's changed so much, is you used to know the ones all around the country. At least I did. You used to, to know the names easily, and now we struggle to, to figure them out. Kellen Grady and Brady both play on this team? That's yeah. a guy I thought they were going to try to get. I thought yeah. they wanted to get. Because he's shooting 45% from three, and it's like fifth in Division One. Yeah. Yeah, you, you put him at the three. You can put him at the two. Yeah, I mean, he's he's smaller than Griffin. Whew. Interesting. T- is he really smaller than Griffin? He looks bigger yeah. than Griffin. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting deal. Um, yeah, I, it's, we could play this game all night long. Uh, the, <laughs> I mean, chat. yeah, normally the discussion is like UNC's got the best players in the nation, right? So it's like right. harder to pick. Yeah, after the season, we should have a transfer portal game. A little transfer portal draft? Yeah, I think that's – you can pick whoever you want. That'd be cool. Right. Yeah. So we're going to – okay, we'll do it. Gregory, that's your homework. I'll, I'll schedule it. <laughs> Set it up, schedule it, and figure out how to document yeah. it. And, um, you know, I, I think this team, Carolina could have vastly benefited from having a second banger, a big guy to help Baycott because – they could have figured out how to work. I don't know if it's the big fella from Kentucky or the one from Illinois or those guys, but yeah, I think it's just, this team is missing one player from being really, really, really elite. So here's a question, not to, I know we're on a path here, but (laughs) since you mentioned that Armando Baker is putting up ridiculous numbers, rebounding, given that he fits the Roy Williams mold working within a two traditional big set. 
is he the beneficiary of the fact that Brady Mannix's not really a rebounder and that Carolina is in this new scheme where they have a stretch four uh, and Baycott's about the only one rebounding? Is he solely benefiting from that? Therefore, that's why he's been so good? Or is that undermining his ability somewhat? I don't think it undermines his ability, but I think he's absolutely benefited from being the only guy getting rebounds. I mean, he doesn't have to fight his own teammates for rebounds. Whereas if somebody like Dayron Sharp was in there, you think Baycott would get 12 a game if Sharp was playing beside him? No, no way. Not a chance. Am I wrong, Kirsten? Not at all. Gregory, even if Kessler was in there, I still think Baycott gets a lot of rebounds. But Well, the best way to see – kind of what would happen is to look at Kessler at Auburn because he's getting like around seven a game. And that's because Jabari Smith is a four that attacks the glass. Brady's a four that doesn't attack the glass and it's allowed Armando. So I, I think to answer the question, you just look at that. Have a, if you have a four that attacks the glass, then no, he's you, Armando's not getting 12, 13 a game. And that's no not, not a knock on Armando. He's a very good rebounder. But when you're the only one who's really going for defensive boards that are around the rim and not some of these ones that shoot out and is where the guards and stuff get rebounds then yeah i don't know if it's how did you put it greg is it is he a the, the sole reason for his numbers or something like that the sole beneficiary of the change in system uh, i think is how I, we how we framed it i don't know i think is that I a think, different question no i think has Baycott benefited? Has has Baycott's numbers benefited from the change in the way they play? I think absolutely. We said that would happen early in the season as far as getting opportunities not so cramped and all that. Now, so many people in the chat are talking about how he struggled against guys of like size or bigger. But to Greg's point, I think he's averaging – He's averaging 12 plus rebounds because he works his butt off to get them, but he doesn't, he's not fighting his own teammates for rebounds. And I think that is, that's just the fact. Does that downplay his ability or his improvement? Absolutely not. Um, I think he's definitely a first team all ACC guy. It would be a travesty if he wasn't. Right. Um, but he's 100% benefited, benefited from Hubert's change. And to your point, Baycott, or excuse me, Mannix. Mannix, you know, he's getting back on defense, or he's usually at top to key even one shooting three. Yeah, and to offer some pers perspective, just real quick, Gregory, um, only one player in the ACC has averaged as many rebounds as Baycott is right now. He's at 12.3 in the last 24 seasons, and that's Notre Dame's John Mahoney. John Mahoney. John Mooney uh, two years ago. He averaged 12.7. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy because I would argue that Mooney is was a like a better rebounder than Baycott, which is like, but not by point four. I'd argue it'd be larger than that. Uh, he was a uh, he was another guy. I liked, was... I really liked watching Mooney play. I thought he cleanly got rebounds to put. But that's it that also way. a very different pace of play too, which I assume plays a role in that. Sure. If you look at rebounding percentages, no. No, he was no. he was the main guy. Yeah, how um, many rebounds? Uh, look, Tyler Hansbrough. He never came close to averaging twelve, did he? No. Nah. Jameson. System. Jameson, who was everywhere, and is probably the the most dynamic, athletic 
gifted guy that play that position or play down low for Carolina, not named Rashid Wallace. How many did he ever average? Did he ever average 10? If he did, it was right on the number. Well, there's Baycott is two double doubles away from the most in UNC single season history. Yeah. Only, only seven Tar Heels have averaged over double digits in their career. Uh, Baycott's at 9.4 for his career. And answer your question there, Tommy, and this is a little bit of a surprise to me. Jamison averaged 9.9 over his career. So he apparently had at least one season over, over 10. Yeah. Man, you go back and watch him play. That dude was everywhere. Yep. I was going to say, since we're talking about Baycott, um, his comments after the Louisville game about there's not a big in the ACC that challenges him. What y'all guys, what y'all's thoughts were on that? Is it just I mean, confidence or do, is it a fact? It's, it's confidence. Uh, I mean, he struggled against Mark Williams. And uh, Mark Williams, I did not realize, was seven foot tall with seven six wingspan or whatever it is. Seven one seven seven wingspan. I mean, that's ridiculous. And he he got a rebound against Virginia that was just a freak move uh, that sort of surprised me the way he played. I think Baycott Baycott goes out and he plays a dominant game against Duke against Williams. Then I'll hear it other than confidence. Baycott's very good. Extremely good, but he's got to show it against guys that are as big as him um, that can that he can't bully around and don't bully him back. I mean, Greg, that's that's legitimate discussion, right? I mean, yep. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Go ahead. I don't think I don't think there's any question about that, Tom. I think you're exactly right. That I mean, the, the Hughley guy from Pittsburgh uh, pushed him around. He didn't respond well to that. Uh, Williams' length bothered him. You know, it's kind of the old thing we've talked about before is uh, you know, if you're playing against guys that are smaller than you and maybe less gifted than you, then you, you have the advantage, but you don't always take advantage, right? So the guys that take advantage when they have the advantage, those are guys that tend to be really good players. Um, but sometimes when you don't have the advantage, how do you do? And you would like to think that you win 50-50. And I guess we could have that conversation, but Baycott got in foul trouble against Purdue, and they got two really good bigs. Um, you know, against Kentucky, I think he got in foul trouble as well, if I remember correctly. So, yes. um, you know, he's, he's done well against guys that he's better than, um, and it's been 50-50 or maybe a little bit worse than that when, when the tables are pretty, pretty even. Yeah, and, and that's not something that's – a shock. I mean, that's how it usually is. When when guys are bigger and just as athletic as you, they're probably going to win. That's why you want, especially like in football, you want big athletic guys, not just athletic guys. And Baycott has struggled. Doesn't take away what he's been able to accomplish. Let's uh let's take a short break. I'm going to talk about Johnny T-shirt again. Sponsor us. Uh, you need to take care of them and get premium orders. 10% off your premium order and also rate us, review us and subscribe on all the uh, formats that you get this, whether it's the podcast, the YouTube channel, Gregory, where we are on YouTube subscriptions. We are 55 subscribers away from 10,000 from $10,000. We need to figure out a way to reward the 10,000th subscriber. Um, I, I figured when we did this stuff, we were right in the five thousands, weren't we? When we first yeah. started doing this, started doing on the beat yeah you want it some was, numbers 
yeah, I, give us I, I looked at him. So our first, first on the beat was February 1st, 2021. This is episode 44. That doesn't include some of the extra live roundtables that we've done. But since February 1st, we have got on the YouTube channel, we have gotten 16 million impressions, 1.6 million views, 242,000 hours watched by all of y'all. And we've gained 4,000 subscribers since that first on the beat. So shout out to everyone who watches and whatnot, because this has been, it's been pretty cool to see, to see the growth. And we're almost at 10,000 subscribers and hopefully we get there by the end of the regular season. So I'm putting that on y'all by March 5th, we should have 10,000 subscribers. Yep. So bring it, get in here, uh, take advantage of this Johnny t-shirt, uh, benefits that you get from being an inside carolina premium subscriber and you subscribe to this youtube channel and you get that uh notification that says hey they're live they must be talking about something pretty cool take a short break let the national guys pay the bills on the audio side we'll be right back on the beat live talk a little football okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back on the beat oh. live. Gregory Hall. Oh, you're going to cut me off on my lead in, man. Yeah, Go yeah, ahead. yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, do not unsubscribe and then resubscribe to be the 10,000th subscriber, please. Because then no. we'll just be at like 80. We'll be back down to like 9,800 and I'll be sad. <laughs> yeah. If we go backwards, we're going to research who unsubscribed and come after you and go find you. Um, I'm sure we'll see you at a game sometime. But let's talk football. Uh, Matt <laughs> Brown. Matt Brown spoke to the media. What was it yesterday? Day before yesterday? Tuesday. Tuesday. And, and, and I'll, I'll start with you, Gregory. Um, Matt was uh, pretty direct in a lot of those comments. And from what I got listening to him, um, a couple quick takeaways. He didn't have any fun last year. He said that. It was a struggle. But it sounded to me like he put a few uh, notices out to some, maybe some position coaches, maybe even a coordinator that it better get done this year or there's going to be consequences. What was your overall take on Mac's mood in the preseason? Certainly very different than it was last year. Oh, yeah. Um, his mood was really like he wasn't like, I mean, he even said it. He didn't have fun last year. And his whole thing about coming back to coaching was to have more fun Um, and not let losses affect him, but just with the expectations of last year and the disappointment, it was very obvious that he was, he's up, he's what's the word motivationally pissed off. If that's a thing, like 
it's not like he's pissed off and is just like, oh, like I'm got my head down and I'm angry. Like it's the being angry is motivating some of these changes and whatnot. And Greg's uh, article kind of combined it all together and some of the similarities to the Larry Fedora years, which I was fascinated by. I didn't even consider that, but it's just the mood of him being angry was that he's kind at least it sounds like, and I don't know if this is me drinking the Kool-Aid, but it sounds like in Mac's eyes, he's kind of figured out what needs to change to be better next year and is going is trying to do everything possible to make that happen. And that started with firing or mutually parting ways with Jay Bateman um, and bringing in Chizik. And then the second side of it is Max stepping up and doing more in the offensive side on the offensive side of the ball in those meeting rooms. And when it comes to calling plays and not Matt calling plays, but just the process and the preparation of when to call plays and focusing on matchups and things like that. And the directness was very obviously towards the offense because, and he said multiple times, I've been asking for these things and they haven't changed. So now I'm going to fix them is what he literally said that I'm going to fix them, Um, which I thought was interesting. And kind of the biggest takeaway is that is Mac being direct and being like, this is what needs to be fixed. I've asked for it to be fixed. It hasn't been fixed. Now it's my turn. And and we're going to get into a discussion. Um, Everybody has a, a different topic we want to discuss, but Greg, I do want to get your take on that since you've, you've sort of seen the evolution of Mac 2.0 here to Gregory's point right there. He did. He flat out said, I, I have asked for things to be changed and haven't been changed. Now I'm going to get in there. I'm going to fix it, basically fix it myself. Um, he sounded pissed in his preseason press conference, I thought. And if he sounds like that in a press conference where he puts on a great front for the media and for everybody watching – how do you think those meetings in the off season with those coaches and maybe some of the players, how do you think they went um, in your mind? I think coming off a six and seven year when you were preseason top 10 and everybody around the program was fully anticipating a, a trip to Charlotte for the ACC championship game. Um, I'm sure those were very difficult conversations. And I mean, if you just go back to last spring I mean, Mac laid out what he expected and where he thought things needed to improve. I mean, he wanted to see more of a traditional running game without having Javante and Michael Carter. He talked about wanting more uh, pass rushers to emerge. So we kept looking in in the fall for, okay, who's going to step up? That led to Gregory's uh, now famous Des Evans prediction. Uh, and so there were certain things that, you know, Sachs was another one. You know, uh, Sam Howe had a, what, 70 sacks his first two years? That was the point of contention, and that was something that needed to be corrected. And yet none of those things really took place, even though the quarterback returned, all five starting offensive linemen returned, and pretty much the entire defense returned. But yet what Mac Brown laid out in preseason or in spring practice didn't translate. Uh, I can only imagine how frustrated he was for him. Number one, to say it, it didn't happen, but for him to lay it out publicly and then for it not to happen, I'm sure he was ticked off. And I, I think that's what we, we saw late in the year. And we saw it, um, 
you know, the other day when he was talking to the media about these kind of things. So, I mean, uh, Phil Longo, let's just look at this. North Carolina last year ranked 83rd nationally in red zone touchdown percentage. Phil Longo has been at the power five level five years. And four of those five years, his offenses have ranked near the bottom of the list in terms of red zone touchdown percentage. The one year it was pretty high. He had Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Those guys will make you look pretty good. So as good as his offense has been, and if you look at all the metrics, his, his offense has been fantastic. When it matters in short yardage situations and in the red zone, there's been some issues. Um, and for as good as his offense has been, that's not something that can continue. So it's got to be fixed. And we're, we're three years in now. So there's, there's no doubt that Mac Brown's going to have that fixed. Same with sacks. There's no reason for the quarterback to be getting sacked 40 plus times a game or a, a season. Uh, and so I think these are some things that have to be addressed. If, if Jay Bateman had returned, I'm sure we'd be hearing a lot of the same stuff about how the defense was not producing, not getting sacks, not getting tackles for loss. You know, obviously you got Gene Chizik in, so that kind of changes the equation because Gene has heard those things and he knows how to, how to address and he at least has a plan forward. Uh, but I think there's a lot of pressure on Phil Longo to be able to produce given the amount of talent uh, that's on this team right now. Yeah, and he's – I mean, I see the comments in the YouTube chat, one of which is pretty funny. But, I mean, at this point, it kind of is what it is. You kind of are what you are. And to your point about those red zone numbers, every year – I mean, we heard the same stuff when he got here from Ole Miss fans – that, and so it's, it's clearly a systematic thing that they haven't figured out how to fix, except when he's got complete monsters in the running back position. Um, but let's talk about uh, that. what everybody always gives me a hard time. And Kirsten, I'm going to let you lead it since you chose it on our Slack pre-show warm-up. Um, your biggest thing or, or your take that you'll be watching for in spring practice. Yep. Um, a lot of people have been talking about it, uh, the quarterback position and who's going to be QB one um, since Sam Howell isn't going to be here anymore. And of course, those top two contenders, Jacoby Criswell and Drake May. And a lot of people, I feel like their go-to has been Drake May, but we've seen and we've heard Max say it like in practice last season, they both got the same number of reps when those games they did play when Sam was hurt, both got the same amount of time. And no one really, at least in my opinion, really stood out. Um, so I think, and I think Max said it during his, during the presser on Tuesday, that, um, that FAMU game, the first game of the next season will kind of be a time to, again, see how both of those quarterbacks handle pressure. But I think, um, yeah, the spring practice, spring season will be a really big time to figure out who's going to be that QB one, um, out of those two. It'll be interesting to see how they do it. Uh, you know, with just two main guys and of course there's other guys on the roster but with the two main guys Gregory do we expect to see a equal share during spring I mean it's tough to equal share all you know the whole entire room but as far as May and Chriswell it's going to be equal all spring right I mean they're not going to separate if they separate we're not going to be talking about Mac Brown having a press conference talking about the separation do you think yeah. Um, I mean, it was equal all of last spring and all of 
this upcoming uh, and all of last season, right? Greg, didn't you say that that was what we were hearing that they were literally taking the same number of snaps at all times? Like I think down to the specific. Yeah. yeah. And I think the only discrepancy was in the South Carolina game where someone came out. I don't remember. I don't remember who it was. Drake came out and played and it was, or is it Criswell? I think maybe Chris, Chris Will played. Chris Will came only, out, so he didn't burn May's redshirt. Correct. Yeah. So that was the yeah. only. So Chris Will got extra play, and that was the only amount of extra play. And I guess you could look at the Wofford game and be like, "Well, Chris Will had more snaps, but they still played first half, second half, right?" Um, and I don't really. It doesn't sound like Mac expects there to be a lot of separation because he was like. The way he was saying it is they want to still have preseason camp. They're not going to announce a starter until the fall unless there is some unexpected separation type deal, um, which like, I don't, yeah, there's a lot of ways to view how they're handling this and I can see Greg smiling and I think I know what he's thinking. So Tommy, I'll tee this one up for you for, for the, for the young ones listening. Um, I'm just saying, I'm going to throw out some names and you tell me what comes to mind. Uh, Mike Thomas, Jason Stanisek, Oscar Davenport, Chris Keldorf. What am I thinking? Platoon and not Platoon. the movie. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, you you nailed it on that. And I, it'd be interesting. You need to go back. One of you, Gregory, here's your, here's your uh, off-season thing. Go back in there and to Greg's point, dig into the snaps and number of reps that those guys got. Keldorf and those season. guys? Keldorf and Davenport together, and it was over a course of two years. And then Thomas and Stanisek. And those guys were over three years. Yeah, I think I – think, and those – who was the head coach? I think you might find some interesting things. It, Greg, do you is, think it plays out like that? Are you it saying could. that there's going to be a two-quarterback system in the fall? I'm not. I'm just saying what the past showed. Mac has done it twice before at North Carolina. Oh, show a hand has... in the chat if you want to see a two-quarterback <laughs> system. I want to see this. There's 101 of you. I want to see 101 opinions on the two-quarterback system. Go. Um, if it's as close as uh, some have alluded – then maybe you'll see some of it. There is so oh. much, so many variables in play now that even if these guys aren't close, if you find that you've only got two legitimate quarterbacks on roster, and when I say legitimate, I mean guys ready to play. I'm not saying anybody else is not capable. I'm just saying in terms of being ready to play. In college, on a college level. Right. Um, you, if you've only got two guys – you may want to do what you can to keep them happy. And that may include making sure both guys see snaps. A lot of people were, were furious with uh, Larry Fedora back in 2014 because you had the, the chosen one and Mitch Trubisky, who was the upstart. And then you had Marquise Williams, who uh, was, was coming along. He wasn't the 2015 Marquise, but he was still pretty good. Uh, and that continued really even into the beginning of 2015. And it drove people crazy because Fedora wouldn't commit to a guy. Um, but Fedora had his reasons. And I think for the most part, that played out about as well as could be expected. And so there's just a lot of different things that kind of go into it. 
Uh, I suspect Drake Mays probably got the the front runner position just a little bit, but there's a lot of spring ball. There's a lot of training camp, and I think if they're pretty close, I, I don't think Mac's afraid to go that route if he needs to. Um, since you brought up Trubisky, I saw this stat today. This is a this is off topic, but you brought up Trubisky, so I thought this stat was interesting. There have been 200 quarterbacks that have started 50 plus games in the NFL since 1950. Only one has never thrown a pick six, and it's Mitchell Trubisky. Wow. Good gracious. <laughs> Man, you find a stat for anything. That's crazy. I just thought I, – I literally saw that today. I haven't thought about Mitchell Trubisky in a long time, and it's funny. But So do you think somebody up. happens upon that and it's like, whoa, that's a crazy stat, or they actually go looking for that? Why would you be go look go looking for a Mitchell Trubisky stat? Some of those stats, people, are crazy, man. I mean, I guess it's the off season. There's nothing better to do. Yeah, but Kirsten, you want to see what you stirred up? Look at the YouTube chat. <laughs> someone made the opinion. Someone made the point that it, whatever it takes to win, and sure, yes, if UNC wins with two quarterback system, then great. Um, but. I don't know if that's a winning formula. There are some valid uh, comments, and one of them, Sean Crawley says, you might as well draw, put a line of tape down the middle of the locker room if you have a two-quarterback system. Well, let me ask you this, purely hypothetical. What about if you have a quarterback that thinks he's better than the starter that never plays? What's that do to the locker room? Portal changes everything. They can just say, peace, I'm out. but. Um, to Greg's point, you better have at least two that can play and you better figure out how to keep them happy. Because if you don't, uh, I would think that, uh, circa 2017, 2018 might be in very clear, uh, very clear in some Carolina football fans minds, Gregory, what take is yours, your, uh, spring break practice take right now. My favorite part of spring is going to be heightened this spring because of the crazy amount of contributors that are either going to be absent, limited, or no contact for the spring. Um, There are going to be a lot of new faces, and I'm very much looking forward to actually seeing – I guess we only get one practice, but I wish we had more. But Tuesday, I am very excited, and it's just shorts. But still, I'm very excited to see these monsters, monsters that UNC has brought in recruiting in this crazy recruiting class and actually see them in person for the first time just to get initial impressions and to see what they can do. Um, And like Mac wasn't afraid to mention Travis Shaw and some of these guys that he expects to contribute this spring. Malachi Hamrick was one that he brought up. So like a kind of an underrated guy, I guess, as far as recruitment wise, but just to kind of see how they mold and see their size and whatnot. That's I'm looking forward to. And not even just the freshmen, some guys that like a Dontavious Nash, a a Dante Balfour, DeAndre Boykins, guys that when they talked about depth last year, that still didn't really play. Now it's there. They've got some room to actually, show what they're made of this spring. And that's what I'm most excited to, to see kind of who emerges. And then not only that, but who carries it over into fall camp, which is kind of more serious as far as playing time and depth chart is concerned. 
Kirsten, your your thoughts on that aspect of it? Who, what players? I, Greg, you remember we we had an award, a spring practice award. It might have been the Bren Renner Award. I can't remember um, to the person that tore up spring, um, but didn't do it in the fall. But Renner ended up all right. Anyway, I digress. Uh, K thirty seven. K thirty seven. That was training camp. He was blocking all the kicks. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was. But spring, somebody had a monster spring game, and it was just destined. Maybe I'm thinking back to well, Brent Renner in the 2010 spring game, the first <laughs> one the ESPN came to. Oh Everybody yeah, that's thought right. He was going to supplant TJ Yates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kirsten, who's going to be the the people we're talking about when spring practice is over? And I'm calling on you to give me some names before spring practice even starts. Mm. Um. Well, I think. First, I'll start with, I guess, some of these new guys that um, we should start looking at. I mean, I, I think guys like Travis Shaw can make a big, big impact. Um, Rice, is that the guy from Virginia? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, Rice. Well, there's like impact. 11 guys from Virginia. Zach Rice. Yes. Well, excuse me. That's true. That's true. The pipeline. Um, but I think someone like, yeah, <laughs> I think someone like Zach Rice can make a big impact. So I think these, and I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch that I just don't, can't recall their names right now, but I know. A lot of those guys, because I mean, they're they're new here, fresh legs, bring a different mindset. They're ready to um, make an impact. So I think we'll see a lot from those guys. And then um, also, too, and I know you asked for names, but I just can't think of some off the top of my head. But some of these guys that that I guess have been waiting their turn last season that didn't get to really play as much are going to show up and make an impact, too. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what these new guys are going to do. Um, I'd have to say that's what I'm most looking forward to a lot of these freshmen. Someone um, asked about Shaw's shoulder. He will be limited at the beginning, but he's still working back. So he will be fine. Like they're just being cautious with it, um, is what Max said. Um, Greg, a couple other things that sort of stood out talking about names and Virginia guys is Mac mentioned Petaway a lot in the press conference. And you're going to have a running back room, and that includes Hampton, that's still down the road here and not in Chapel Hill, uh, you're going to have a six or seven back running – six or seven guy running back room. And he said three are going to play um, in an ideal situation. That's uh, – that's that puts some pressure on some young men to step up and play. How important is spring practice for these guys that are currently on campus? Petaway, you know, British Brooks – um, whoever else, Kamara Edmonds, he mentioned him by name. I mean, these guys are going to really have to basically put up or figure out something else to do or sit next fall, right? So spring is huge for those guys, that room specifically. Yeah, for sure, because they know what British Brooks can do. They got a really good sampling from him last two games of the year. Everybody was happy with how he played. Uh, who they play, who was the Western? It was the Western Carolina they played. Wofford. 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 See, I, okay, there, I know it was a W team. Wofford and difference. NC State. Uh, Brooks look look great. And so they kind of know what he can do. He's been around a long time. They know what DJ Jones can do. Uh, they've liked DJ for a while now. He's just kind of battled injuries. And so I think those two guys, they'll get plenty of snaps because they may be the guy in the fall. But, yeah, I mean, Elijah Green, Edmonds, I mean, we didn't hear anything out of him. He came in, I think, was banged up a little bit uh, and basically started at the scout team. And then, of course, you know, uh, Petaway being a, being a true freshman. So those guys are going to have 15 opportunities to really prove that, hey, 
you haven't heard my name quite a bit. I haven't really popped, but I'm going to, I'm going to make sure you know who I am going into the summer. So I think for those guys, it's very important. Um, and if, if some of those guys, I mean, Petaway is different, but if some of those guys just have a really bad spring, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, Elijah Green, um, then that may be a tough conversation in the offseason. But okay, you know, this is where we think you stand. This is kind of where your future is. Um, and he would have to make a decision from that point forward. So it's a very big opportunity for all these guys. You know, Caleb Hood, they had high expectations of him. He was really impressive in training camp last year. Then, of course, got banged up, and they uh, they really made sure to uh, preserve his, his red shirt. So he's another guy that, that, that needs to show that, hey, I, I looked good early last year. I'm the same guy. I can do it again because there's a lot of playing time available. Is that is running back going into preseason camp? Is running back the the most talented room, especially if you include Hampton? That's not even there. I mean, is that the most talented room in this on this roster? I don't think so. Offense and defense. Tie room. No. What do you think? No. What's the most talented one then? Defensive line, right? Front seven. Yeah. I guess if you separate D line and linebackers, it's still D line. So straight D line, I guess Chizik plays a straight. There, there's none of that. What were they calling them? The star and the jack. Yeah, positions? I was about to bring that up, Greg. Your thoughts on the new positions and yeah. also moving Des Evans to a power end. Yeah, it's a missed opportunity. I mean, yeah, you can go Tar Hill, you can go Ram, <laughs> um, you can do a lot of different things. I don't think Jack is is the way to go, but. Uh, I think of the old game. I, where you, I thought I think of the game where you bounce it, bounce the ball, and pick up the jacks. That's the, the first thing I thought about. Shh, don't. Really? My, my my parents played that game when they were. I'm not old, much older than you, man. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> that is crazy. That's why you get so skilled. Kirsten why... or Gregory? Do y'all did y'all know what he was talking about? No. I do, I do kind of understand it, but I don't actually know I how do, to play it. Yeah, not because I play, because my oh. parents play. Okay, I was so. going to say, did you ever play when you were a child? I know. <laughs> Man, I'm not the only dating myself. I'm trying to think what we making y'all younger. Is there anything uh, similar that we would have done? And the jacks are shaped like stars. So that's yeah, they're exactly like spikes. what I thought about. Yeah. yeah. So you could step on them and all those kind of things. Uh, yeah. I think that the power end is interesting. I mean, I assume that's just a strong side defensive end. Well, I thought uh, so too, but he said both – he said Ritzy and Evans at power end, which I wouldn't think they'd play the same side of a line. I would why think – why isn't Evans a weak Different side? Different body types. Yeah. yeah, but Evans is a monster. I know, I know Ritzy's a little bit bigger, but Ritzy's so quick. Yeah, um, I guess. Yeah. This is I'm I'm busy reading the reading so the comments. I, the... I Luke is <laughs> Luke's younger like us and he goes, That sounds like a game they play in the trenches in World War One. Probably was. It was when Probably men were did. tough. It was when men were tough and they didn't carry around their heads in the phones. No, I better not say that. No offense. It's all fun and games. I don't want people to say <laughs> I'm <being mean. laughs> so yeah. so so defensive, defensive line is most talented. Okay, so where's where are the biggest? And Kirsten mentioned guys that didn't really have a lot of opportunity last year. Where where are the biggest position battles here? Um, we've got guys that are that are set. 
unless they just totally go off the rails in spring. But a guy like Ra Ra Dilworth, I mean, he can he's got to be on the field, right? Is he a star. jack or is he a star? That's right. He's a star. So, so where are those position battles? Kirsten, biggest, uh, biggest position battle uh, in the spring, do you think, for this team? Mm-hmm. Not quarterback, not quarterback. Uh, okay. Um, can, well, can I ask a question first? Yeah. yeah. You, anything so, you like, want. Okay. Because I just I want to make sure, because I don't. So what's the wide receiver room looking like right now? Because According to Mac, they're looking for Josh Downs and five other guys to step up. Okay. Well, that, was gonna be my, have, uh, that was going to be my choice, Kirsten. Yeah, that's yeah, that's why I asked because I'm I thought about that because other than Downs, I don't know who that next so who guy up they? is or who these five guys will be. I am very. I was very. My my interest was piqued when Mac said that they are looking at Bryson Nesbitt in a more wide receiver and slot role in addition to tight end because I think that is the. I think that's a very good move for him. The slot role. It. it it would not be a traditional North Carolina Phil Longo slot. No, no, it wouldn't be a Josh Down slot, but just to put him farther out. It would be more like a, a the Pitts from Florida guy. Yes. Um, the way to detach him. So is is wide receiver the biggest position battle, not named quarterback? Center. In the spring? It's got to be Corey Gaynor, right? You, But there's three guys. You, you It's a battle between B.A., uh, Brian Anderson, Kieran Johnson and Corey Gaynor. I don't think it has to be Gaynor. Exactly. That's why I think it's a. Uh, I think that's the most important battle because it's one position that you're fighting for, and the other guys will play on the line. Like they, he, they're cross training a lot of linemen. Um, but I think that's the most important one to figure out as quick as soon as possible, in my opinion. Uh, okay, valid, noted, folks. Note the center position. Let's let's flesh out the the. Wide receiver a little bit. Downs is a given. Yes. Uh, Antoine Green, is he a given? Yeah. I was going to mention him, yeah. Okay, so who else? You got J.J. Jones fighting for a spot. He showed flashes last year. But here's the thing with Gregory's comment about Nesbitt. I think it makes perfect sense. What North Carolina lacked last year was a big play outside receiver. And Deami Brown wasn't the biggest guy, but if you threw him a 50-50 ball, you felt pretty good about his chances to go up and get it. They thought Bo Corrales could serve that role because he's shown that at times in his career, uh, and you know just Bo couldn't you know, stay healthy, um, and now now he's gone. So when you start looking at who are the the potential big receivers. There's not a ton of them. I mean, J.J. Jones, you know, 6'2", okay. He can maybe be that guy. Uh, you know, Tyler Craft, he's 6'4". Uh, you know, maybe that's the guy that they were hoping would pop. But they've seen what Nesbitt can do, and he's got the speed. And so if you need somebody who's big, I mean, Nesbitt's what, 6'6"? Six, six? Yep. Yeah, 6'6". Six, six. If, if, if you can work him some at outside wide receiver and just throw him some jump balls – um, if he can prove he can catch it, then then that's great. He doesn't have to be a burner necessarily. I mean, you got downs over the middle, and I, I think Green or Jones can can showcase plenty of speed on the outside. Um, I think it's an interesting play. I mean, you, you know, 
Kamari Morales is probably going to be your starter at tight end. So you're not going to put two tight ends out there most of the time. So why not use Nesbitt in a unique way? Yeah, I think I think you got to get him on the field. And then you've got – is it Andre Green, the freshman that's coming and, in? Right. And Doc Chapman. Yeah, I mean – They're both talented. To, you got to get guys – I think they'll do a better job of, A, spreading it around. But, you know, this talk when Longo first came in that – we're going to play eight wide receivers. It's just not possible to, to play them and, and get them meaningful reps, not just snaps, but get them, you know, do something other than block. So I think six is a mark, but I think you got to have Nesbitt green uh, downs. Of course, um, JJ Jones shows some flashes, the other green. And uh, I think there's, options but he will be there. here till, I mean, training camp. So yeah. Don't forget about Justin Olson. And I was just yeah. about to say, does he fall into that at all? He's limited. So at the beginning, he's one of those guys. And Mac mentioned that he's limited, and they're hoping JJ Jones, Andre Green, and Doc Chapman can be immediate contributors. Well, he, uh, he, well, a lot of people were down on Olsen early in the season, I, I think because of the Virginia Tech play where the guy just ripped him by, but he turned to be pretty, pretty dependable late in the season. Yeah, he's and, not bad. Uh, and made some plays. I just think they need splash guys that can be difference makers out there. Is he one of those guys? He may be this year. Um, but anyway, what about the um, defensive back room? Somebody asked it. Tony Grimes digress last year. I, I think, you know, it's fair to say that the unit did not play as well as it could have at times. But, Greg, where's where does that defensive backfield fit in the hierarchy of who needs the most work, who's the best, most talented. Yeah, there's certainly some some areas for improvement with the defensive backfield. And I think that's one of the reasons that that Gene Chizik really wanted to bring in uh, Charlton Warren because Warren's done a really good job with defensive backfields. And I think that'll be beneficial for Dre Bly to get some assistance with the cornerback room. Um, I do think Storm Duck coming back when he did really proved that he he's the best cornerback on this team. Um, Tony's got a, a lot of talent for sure. He's got all the measurables and, and all those kind of things. Um, but he, he needs to get better and needs to get more consistent. And so I suspect that's, that's a good starting point when you've got the Grimes and duck as your, your starting corners storm just needs to stay healthy. Uh, Gregory did a good job on his, his story on storm, uh, today. And then, yeah, I think there's a lot of options in play at safety. Um, you know, they, Jay Bateman really liked. The idea of Curious Conley playing safety, but because of some of the weaknesses uh, in the defensive secondary, I mean, they, they had to move him up. They needed him to, to do a lot of different things up closer to the line of scrimmage, which is why they moved him back to nickel uh, before his injury. So uh, it'll be curious to see exactly where he winds up. I assume he will stay at safety. Uh, but if you've got him at safety, you got to feel pretty good you got one of those spots locked down and then you get into the conversation about how they can utilize the, the star who is going to be in the other safety position, all those kinds of things. There's a lot of veteran guys. Uh, I mean, Don Chapman's played a lot. Cam Kelly's played a lot. Uh, Gio Biggers coming off injury. He's played a lot. So there's options there. It's just really going to depend on, you know, who steps up and, and plays best in this new scheme. They're going to be running. Who replaces okay. jeremiah gim oh okay power echoes 
Agree. Yes. I mean, Jeremiah Gimmel was the mic. Power Echoes is going to be the mic. And Not Cedric wrong. Gray? Yeah, Gray's the, the one I was kind of thinking. You but. think it's Gray? I do. I mean, where, where does Ra Ra fit? Star. I don't think he plays the true linebacker position this year. So is the star the nickel? Essentially, yeah. Yeah. The old I think you have Chancellor position at Virginia Tech. Because yep. I think you have Cedric Gray, you have Power Eccles, and you have Malachi Hamrick, who I do think they'll probably want to use a little bit. Um, I mean, I guess it's a true 4-3. So I guess you need three linebackers on the field. But then you've got like Noah Taylor will play a lot of outside backer. So will Chris Collins. Um, so I mean, does anybody run a true 4-3 anymore? No. That's why I don't think you have a guy like Rara at linebacker because of right. that. I think the idea is if he's fast enough, you, you kind of mold him into the Isaiah Simmons role that Clemson utilized where he could come up and defend the run, but he could also drop back and cover wide receivers if he needed to. I think Rara has that speed, um, you know, whether or not he, he is uh, the player that Simmons was. I mean, that, that's a tall ask of course, in terms of just kind of IQ and those kind of things. But if, if you think he can do all those different things, I mean, you can play a 4-3 basically and just say, yeah, hey, you're going to do everything. And if he's good enough, then that makes the defense that much better. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting The Gray versus Power Echoes replacing Gimmel's role. Because they well, were Gray really high trained. On... Yeah. Yeah. He cross-trained both positions all year last year. And was very good. They liked the way he communicated, which is what yeah. they loved about Jeremiah. Power necessarily didn't have to be that role. He just needed to play football. So I think it's easier to put Gray in the main communicator role at linebacker, and they'll play together. They'll both be on the field. I believe they'll could potentially both start at linebacker. I just think Gray could be the main, like the replacement for Gimmel is my thought process. That's going to be something to watch. You may be right. I, I still, I still think Echoes will be the guy in the middle there. And uh, anyway, uh, I mean, is there a chance Conley's healthy when the season rolls around, fully healthy, ready to go? I mean, that's, there's a chance. Because yeah. that would be season starts in September. Yep. Uh, that's August 27th. Nine months. and a half. It's nine and a half months, 10 months. And ACLs now with recovery are around that time. They're not a year anymore. They're, some, they're around nine, the nine month frame. If everything goes right, no setbacks. Um, he might he, it's one of those things you probably don't you don't need him against famu you might not even need him against app what's their third game georgia state you so he might get some minutes against app some minutes against some minutes basketball he <laughs> might get some snaps against um app georgia he might state. get some snaps against georgia state and then you got then you got to buy buy and then he's uh, full go for notre dame it's just a tough ass for a young man, but uh, you know, we talk to him or see hear from his pops a lot, and he's working his butt off to get back. Um, Before we get out of here, and sound you, Tommy, you started doing your outro voice, so I, I cut you off. <laughs> um, Greg Max sounded very keen on the defense improving significantly. What were your? What, is it just 
uh, still in the honeymoon phase with having Chizik coming in and he's excited about the changes or is it something that can feasibly happen? Well, look, we had this conversation last year and there was no reason for North Carolina's defense not to be around the top 50 to 60 range nationally in some of the metrics. And yet it was a borderline top 100 defense underachieved all season long. Uh, and so if, if Chiswick just gets this defense to play to its talent level, it should be a top 50 defense. I mean, this is not 2015 all over again where he's, I mean, a lot of people loved the defense that year. A lot of it was smoke and mirrors. I mean, if you go back and look, they did a phenomenal job in the red zone. But other than that, it wasn't a top 50 defense by any stretch. But he got the job done. Uh, but this is not that. I mean, there is plenty of talent on this defense. There's plenty of talent on last year's defense. So I think just from that perspective, the defense should take a significant step forward. Um, you know, what I'm curious to see, though, is if you go back to 2015, when Gene walked in, he was like, whoa, this is messed up. So we are starting base level. We're doing just bare minimum stuff in year one. And then we're going to add to it the next two years. That finally caught up to them against Clemson and against Baylor because they just didn't have enough in place to be able to counter some of the stuff those teams were doing offensively. Uh, so does he take that same approach? Or is there a heightened sense of we've got to win quickly coming at him from Mac? And if so, you know, maybe the guys can, can handle a little bit more of a challenge between now and that opening game. So uh, that's, yeah, that, that'll be the thing that I, I'm looking out for is how, how much does he push the defense to be able to you know, install everything he wants? It, it's not all going to occur in year one, but does he want to have everything in place for year two, which is when I think this team can make a significant run? Um, that remains to be seen. There it is. Realistic Tar Heel fans think 2023 from Greg <laughs> that is hilarious that's another one of the comments that gregory you don't understand and kirsten you don't you haven't heard before um, because y'all are you know you're talking about your parents were my age so i'm offended a little bit but um it is something that carolina fans have been saying for the last 20 years and uh here we are again on the beat live has been fun We've been going at it an hour and a half. It sure flies when you are having fun. Kirsten Clark, Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, just sitting around watching these folks do their wonderful work for Inside Carolina. And, of course, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Sponsors, rate us, review us, subscribe. YouTube channel needs to be at 10,000 when we get back together a week from tonight. Get it done, people. We'll be out. We'll talk soon. The chilling new original docu-series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.